when you are an entrepreneur, you need to start thinking of yourself as a brand. This is the Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation from the Financial Times, hosted by under 30s for the under 30s around the world. This first series is in partnership with Bocconi University, a leading higher education institution of business and managerial advancements. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is the guide you need to drive innovation and change. Today, we are focusing on the field of marketing by talking with an expert who understands the emerging quantitative trends of the industry, as well as how to use marketing in your everyday life. This is for any listener who wants to find a role in the marketing field, is curious about how brands influence them to buy things, and even for those who wish to market themselves. Here is our conversation with Gaia Rubera, Professor of Social Media Marketing at Bocconi University. Ciao Gaia, how are you? Ciao Virginia, I'm very fine, thanks. Thanks for having me here. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation and, of course, the invitation of Bocconi University that is partnering with us. The topic of the day is about marketing. I would really love to go through the concept of marketing. What are the basics of marketing? What does it mean, marketing? Okay, thanks very much for the question. I think it's very important because there are a lot of misconceptions about marketing. People typically tend to think that marketing is just a communication. In the reality, I would say that there are two parts of marketing. There is what we call the upstream part that starts when we listen to the customers. So before talking to customers, it's very important that firms listen to what they have to say because the ultimate goal is A, to develop some products, services, offerings that are consistent with what the customer wants. And of course, in order to do that, you need to understand what they want. And then there is the downstream part where marketing enters the scene again, I would say, inside the firm process. That is when, okay, now the firm has the product and we try to communicate the customers the best way possible what the value of this product is. That is probably where the most creative parts come in. But even in that case, it is important that marketers keep listening to customers. Unless we think that companies develop the best product at the first shot, which never happened. I can't think of a company that ever did that. It's important that marketing feedback inside the organization, the feedback from the customers so that the company can constantly update this offering. So I would say there is an upstream part, a downstream part of marketing. That's very clear and very important. Thank you so much for sharing. You are head of the marketing department at Bocconi and a full professor. How did you first become interested in the field of marketing? How you started your career there? And then, of course, being an expert and a researcher. So I started by chance, I would say. So when I was an undergraduate student at college, I studied marketing during my third year. I thought it was interesting, but then at that time I got scared because I thought, oh, it's probably too much statistics, which is very fun because now I am fond of statistics. I do a lot of statistics, but at that time I really didn't know what it was, so I got scared and I started studying organizational studies. 
And then I went to work, I came back, I started my PhD, and I was interested in innovation. So I went to the US, and the professor that I was working with is a guru in innovation, and it was in the marketing department. And I started going to presentation conferences. I think that it's related to your initial question, why I was not interested in marketing in the beginning, because I didn't know what that was. Now I have a very broad sense of what marketing is. It's not just selling products or firms or services. Everything is marketing. Politicians do marketing. Scientists need to do marketing. If you think of right now, we have a kind of a crisis in scientists trying to convince people that what they say is uh, right, that is a marketing crisis, it's not a scientific crisis. And also, if you think of uh, disinformation, right, that is a hot topic nowadays in uh, social networks, in the life of uh, our societies. And why is that? Well, because there are a group of people that try to tweak what people think of uh, certain uh, societal issues. And there is a large part of the society that was not able, is still not able to react to this marketing challenge. And so I got interested eventually, I decided to stick to marketing because I think that every problem you see in real life, you can think of that as a marketing problem. That's very interesting. And I would really like to know a bit more about the fear of statistics. How did you overcome your fear of uh, anything that is uh, around these numbers and analytics? Can you walk us through it? And maybe some suggestions for our listeners that are in the middle of this fearful moment. First of all, let me clarify that I always loved math and I was pretty good at that. So I'm not one of those people that, oh, I don't like numbers. I do love numbers. I was afraid of statistics, I think, again, let me put it in a polite way, that uh, most of the statistics teaching that uh, we get are from pure statisticians, right? It's uh, just numbers, it's uh, laws. And there is this issue in uh, showing how these statistics is uh, so important for our uh, everyday life. Again, if you think of politicians, uh, right, I think it's extremely important that they make these uh, claims and most of the times so they are statistically wrong. And uh, I truly believe, this is uh, something I really believe, that uh, the whole population should receive uh, more concrete uh, statistical knowledge also in the early stages. How did I overcome that fear? Is at the moment I realized that uh, it was not something uh, just about uh, numbers. It was something that had an impact in my everyday life. And the other thing is I am a researcher. To answer the research questions I have in mind in the correct way, I need to know statistics. So this is what I always tell my students. Statistics is not statistics per se. It's what gives you the freedom to study whatever you want. So my suggestion would be trying to put back these statistics to your everyday problem. Right. If you think you have this marketing campaign, I'm going to show this ad, for instance, on Facebook. Let me give a very concrete example down to her related to marketing. I have an ad. I have to show it on Facebook. How do I know whether this ad works or not? Well, we know statistically you have to show this ad to a group of person that is uh, uh, statistically or if you want the most similar 
to a, another group of people who didn't see the ad. And then you compare the sales between the two groups. If uh, the group that saw the ad bought more than the other group, and we know that the two groups are uh, almost identical, they just differ because one saw the ad and the other didn't, then statistically we can say that that uh, worked. So uh, the suggestion is uh, try to think how uh, you can use these statistics in your concrete life. It's fun. It's extremely fun. It is, it is. Once, of course, as you are saying, you're a bit, you know, aware of the tool and the force of it. And I think it's quite interesting. And I'm thinking about our listeners today, and many of them are either students, early career professionals, but also some of them are entrepreneurs. How can startups think about marketing in an effective way? When they are just starting out and have very small marketing budget to assign, what is maybe the two free things that you would suggest them to look at? Okay. So very first thing is uh, start doing your marketing research even before you create your uh, startup. There are plenty of examples of entrepreneurs that think, oh, I have this great idea and everyone else love it. So they spend time, their family budget, create products just to find out that there is no market there. Let me give you a very famous example that I love it. It's Segway. It's the scooter that was first developed 50 years ago, probably. And the story is that the entrepreneur created this product, never said anything to anyone. It was in his garage, never interacted with the customers. Then finally, when the product was ready to be introduced in the marketing, had a meeting with a very important person, showcased the product. And this important person say, oh, it's fantastic. It's going to be the product in history that will reach 1 million sales faster than everyone else. We will change our cities just to use it. It introduced in the market and the sales in the first years were just a few thousand units. So why is that? Well, because we never showcased the idea, not even the product. We never went and asked people, do you need a product like this? Now, if you fast forward nowadays, you can see that the concept is there and uh, we have a lot of scooters now in our cities. So the concept was good, but uh, what's different? These are products that we use today compared to the Segway that we had. It was bulky. It was heavy. And the consumers liked the idea. They just wanted something lighter. So these are kind of a small feedback, again, that you can get from the customers. It's not expensive at all, but you must do it. And you must keep doing that. That's what we told at the beginning. It's continuously listen to your customers. When you are an entrepreneur, you need to start thinking of yourself as a brand. Nowadays, especially with the social networks, it's extremely important that people or venture capitalists before buying your product are going to buy yourself. And think of Elon Musk, right? That is uh, probably the best example you can think. The guy built a brand around itself. We have uh, now this concept in marketing of branded CEOs. Probably there are some companies in which the CEO is even bigger than the company. You can think of Steve Jobs. And I would say that this is extremely important. The last thing is 
user your product again if you think of a mask and the showcase the customers that you're using your product right mask send his tesla on the space and uh, that means that you have faith in your uh, in your product so the good thing about marketing nowadays with the social networks especially it is that it's extremely cheap right you don't need to have a lot of budget you don't need to buy commercials on tv ads on newspapers but uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to a get insights from customers for free and to establish you yourself as the brand because uh, the very first thing that venture capitalists and consumers are going to see at the beginning it's uh, yourself Thank you very much, Gaia. And uh, one, one little thing, you touched on something that uh, I think it is so interesting, the branded the CEOs. Uh, what are the downside of living like a brand? You touched upon social networks and we are definitely going to explore that a bit more. And even if you're not a CEO, even if you're like, you know, an early career professional and you start posting on LinkedIn, uh, showing your interests and so on, what might be the downside of this uh, personal marketing and then a personal brand? Probably when you start creating your brand, you are willing to share a lot of your life because you wanted to do that. But at a certain point, it seems to me that customers want more and more and it's hard to come back. The second thing is this issue of haters, right? It seems that nowadays a lot of people go on social networks to criticize, voice their frustration with life. And so you should be able to accept that you're going to cope with that. The third thing I think is that there are some topics that probably you don't want to discuss unless that is your specific purpose, right? Political issues, that is something that probably if you want to build your own brand and your brand is not related to something political you shouldn't touch upon because for sure you are going to alienate a part of the market. There are other people that create, build their brand around some issues that are important for the society. For instance, nowadays, mental health is a very important issue, right? You can think of athletes that have created their brand around this social issue. And nowadays, with what we are seeing, of course, because of technologies, the digitalization of the world, should everyone be learning to code to really understand what's behind the marketing tactics and tools that uh, the digital world offers? Tough question. Uh, let me tell you again my personal experience also as a director of the marketing department. So I started teaching uh, Python to marketing students back in 2016. And uh, since then, there has been an explosion of uh, students who wanted to take these uh, courses. And of course, at Bocconi, we started uh, offering more and more of uh, courses like this. And I pushed, I would say, very strong my department also through new hires to become more analytical. And we have a lot of uh, professors who now code. Now, do you need to learn to code uh, probably not, but what is extremely important is that marketers educate themselves about what it is possible to do with machine learning models, with neural network models. That is extremely important. Why is that? Because if you think there are like two communities, there are the computer scientists 
they know nothing about business. And then there are the business people uh, and they know nothing about uh, computer uh, science or artificial intelligence. What's the real competitive advantage nowadays is to be the gatekeeper, the connector between these two communities. And so to go back to your question, it's important, I would say a little bit of code, it's important, not the ins and out, because otherwise you can't really understand what these people are talking about and what it is possible. This is really interesting because like what you're saying is basically it's another form of common language we should all be sharing and it uh, should be able to speak and understand. As you know, this show is a bit different because we have uh, some of the challengers and participants to FT Talent as well as our listeners that do come along to the show and ask directly questions to our experts. So I have two questions for you. One is from Luca. So Luca, I know you're connected here, so please ask your question to Professor Rubera. Hello, I'm Luca Ribichini and I was a participant of the FT Talent Challenge in 2022. Uh, I'm Italian, but I live in The Hague, in the Netherlands. I'm currently partner of a company that does alignment for active investors, and I'm also advisor of a VC climate tech fund. My question to Professor Gaia Rubera is where greenwashing is becoming a more and more serious issue Do you currently see a shift in corporate and also investor marketing communication? And do you see a trade-off between being real, like addressing awareness on sensitive topics and being just catchy? Thanks very much and uh, looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you, Luca. Thank you for the question. So... It seems that a lot of people, a lot of CEOs right now are switching or becoming more interested in climate or green topics. I think that right, they are CEOs, they are human beings, so pretty much as the same way we became more interested in these topics, they are too. I think that most of the cases there is a genuine interest because this is the world where we live. But really doing something deeply that is not just a campaign, marketing campaign, it's not, as you say, the greenwashing requires a complete change of organizational processes. So what I think is that probably most of the companies, I wouldn't say all of the companies, but most of the companies are becoming more and more authentically interested in these issues. But we are at the beginning of the time. The example of Patagonia, that is a company that was born in this way. Okay, There are digital-born companies that was a green-born companies. For other companies, it's going to be much, much harder. Probably I'm a kind of person I would be reluctant to say that they do greenwashing. I would say that they are trying to do the best they can since they started two years ago, basically. The other question was the trade-off between be authentic and be catchy. As a marketer, a marketing professor, I can tell you the consumers catch catchy immediately and it doesn't pay off at all. So if, uh, as I say, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. It's better than that. Thank you very much, Professor Rubera. Second question is coming from Emma. Emma, over to you. Hello, my name is Emma Velasquez Mariucci. 
I was a participant of the Financial Times Talent Challenge in 2022. I'm from Colombia, but currently living in Milan, Italy. I'm currently pursuing my bachelor's degree in international economics and management in Bocconi University. My question is, what hard skills and soft skills should someone considering entering the marketing field have? Thanks and looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you, Emma. Uh, you needed to uh, know statistics uh, and uh, probably a little bit to know how to code and I can guarantee that those are two fun things uh, to do. Soft skills, uh, probably that is uh, the hardest uh, part. If you are a Bocconi, you know that we invest a lot on uh, that. I would say that more and more you should be able to communicate with a diverse group of people, where diverse means diverse in terms of uh, nationality, for sure, but it means also in terms of uh, functional uh, backgrounds. And this go back to two points that I was making before. First one, uh, what is the competitive advantage that you can have nowadays is uh, being the connector between uh, the business and the computer science community. So you would need to be able to interact with these two groups of people. And the other thing is that uh, if we believe that the marketing should become more and more important is also in the boardroom, you should know a little bit of finance. These are the people that you are going to work with. Of course, it's important we live in a multicultural world to have that kind of diversity, gender, nationality, but also functional backgrounds. Do not stay in your marketing silo. Gaia, it was a pleasure to talk to you today. I hope you enjoyed spending your time with the talent show. I did. Thank you very much for the invitation. Cannot wait to hear all the feedbacks from our listeners. Tune in, check out all our episodes on The Talent Show. You can find it on all your favorite podcast platform. And at the same time, of course, follow us on social media. Thanks to Bocconi University for partnering with us on this initiative. Again, thank you so much, Professor Rubera, for being with us today. This has been The Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent Team, Aya Al-Shihabi, Noor Hafez, and me, Virginia Stani. Our podcast producer is Todd Van Luling. Our editor and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa. Our video producer is Enrique Zeca. And our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time, and keep listening.